When you hear the word slave, what comes to your mind? And I just want you to think through that for a second. When you hear the word slave, what comes to your mind? I, I would guess that for a, a lot of us, especially if we know uh, American history and, and we've thought through American history and we, we kind of think through how our country was built and formed, um, we think of chattel slavery. Um, and, and, and maybe you don't. Maybe that's, for me, raised, raised in, a, in a place that, that literally, you know, was named after slave owners. And there were, you know, I grew up driving by old plantations. That's where my mind goes. But I think for, for, for many of us, what we probably ought to think, or at least ought to be aware of, is that modern slavery exists. It's, it's huge. This week, I was in a truck stop, and I was using the bathroom, and in front of me was a little thing in the bathroom stall. And it was a flyer about modern-day human trafficking. And it says on the flyer, modern-day human trafficking is slavery. Here's how to look for it. In the, the past 10 to 15 years, there's been a movement called the, the End It Movement. And it's really brought to light slavery, uh, modern-day human trafficking, and made an awareness of, about it to us. And um, by some estimates today, there are 40.3 million slaves in the world. So we have to think about that. You know, that's what, like 10 times the population of the state of Colorado are people who are enslaved in the world. And we see in America um, modern day slave trade happening. Um, it's interesting stats 71% of those who are in slavery today are women. And one in four of those are children. And so that, that is uh, quite, quite wild to think about. Um, I, I, I can like, more freely talk about this today because Jennifer's not here. Jennifer's in Virginia watching. She watched her nephew graduate from the University of Virginia uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday. So I can talk about this. But Jennifer, in her job um, as a training and resource uh, consultant for Sin Relief, often works with people who run uh, ministries that rescue people out of slavery. Uh, she's on a call uh, with, with a couple ladies every, every week. I, I, I like know their voices. I don't even know what they look like because I'll hear her working in her house and I'll hear her talking to them. And the, they have the wildest stories that week in and week out, they get a call from uh, the cops, sometimes feds, sometimes state police, wherever, and they will be making a sting or a bust, and their ministry goes in and rescues these women out, brings them to a home, and begins to uh, help them heal, re recover, re rehabilitate them. It's amazing, but it happens literally every week. They make special operations around, you know, uh, things like the Super Bowl or the uh, big sporting events. They'll go to those cities to do these rescue operations. It's quite wild to think about, isn't it? 
It's right in, in front of us. And, and it, it's wild to think about that um, this is what sin leads to. Sin le- led somebody to think that they could own another person. Right? It is, it is a deep nature and, and, and state of, of sin. It's the brokenness and fallenness of the world. And it is in our midst. We open up the Bible. And today we're going to hit the word slavery, and, and we're going to hit it in, um, used as really, really an illustration, but a reality that uh, we are slaves to sin, or we're slaves to righteousness. And in verse 19, he, he uses this, uh, he, he says this, this is a sentence in verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, and I've, I feel that this morning. I feel like as we talk about slavery, we definitely, we definitely approach this text today with these natural limitations in which we can wrap our mind around actually being enslaved to sin and sin being our master. Uh, the Bible is full of these kind of limitations. That's why we, when, when we you know, are addressed in Scripture, our position with Christ, I mean, we're called all sorts of different things, all sorts of realities. We're, we're co-heirs with Christ. We're no longer slaves but friends. We are, um, uh, you know, we're given the, uh, as a, like this picture, as, as obedient children. That's how we should follow Christ the Father, right? There's these different ways because of our natural limitations that this picture is painted for us of what it looks like for us to follow Christ. So, Know that as we go into this today, we're like coming at this with a, a limitation that we can't quite wrap our minds around it. Now, here's the big truth that I hope that we'll walk away with today. Um, this big truth, I think, that we, can, we will wrestle with this text, and this is what we will see, is that Christians have a new way of life because we've been freed from sin, and Christ is now our master. We have a new way of life. The new way of life that, that we read about, that, we, that we've wrestled with in Romans uh, chapter 6, that it's there because of the freedom that we have in Christ, that Christ has set us free. When, when we look at verse 4, where we were buried therefore with him in, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Like when we wrestle with that idea of new life, it's because we've been freed from sin and Christ is now our master. Now, it's kind of been our custom every week. We've read uh, a little bit of the text that's leading into it. And so let's go and and start in verse 12 this morning, okay? We're going to back up. This was last week's text and we'll hit verse 15. Um, Verse 15 is our text, the start of our text today through verse 19. And so, Apostle Paul, writing the church at Rome, chapter 6, verse 12, says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, our text for the day. 
what then? Or it is sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the ones whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We see in verse 15, kind of a, a repeat of verse 1. Verse 1 was, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. That's probably like uh, one of the verses that comes to my mind the most when I think about Romans, Romans chapter 6 and in, in, in this wrestling with those who would uh, try to keep the law in the standard of living, who, who, who would try to earn their salvation. I think it's easy for us to see in, in our world that you can't earn your salvation. So for us to err on the side of uh, this unending abuse of grace. Are we continue in sin that grace by, may be abound by no means? Same thing here. He's, this is a kind of a circular argument he's getting back to. No. By, by, by no means are we to continue to sin. This is the greatest news that's ever, ever been given that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we've been forgiven of our sins, that while we were dead in, in our trespasses and sins, Christ forgave us. It's, it's God's grace. It's his unmerited favor that saves us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's incredibly good news. But we don't, but we don't abuse that. So he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so here's our first big idea. Everyone is a slave to sin or to Christ. That's your two options. You are either enslaved to sin, which ultimately means Satan, or you are a slave to Christ. The wages of sin is death, right? He says that. You are a slave of sin, which leads to death. You, you are uh, uh, obedient slaves. You, you willingly want to, have to, feel the need to, the urge to, the compulsion to follow, to obey. Romans 8, verse 13, Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. There's, there's like a, a real, a real two, two senses in which this is true. This is, this is definitely true. 
the wages of sin is death, in that, that through Adam and Eve, when they sit in the garden, death entered the world. And we're, we're cursed because of that, and we die because of that. When we look at the curses in the world today, we look at things even like cancer that, that kills us, sickness, COVID. Like We see this is all part of living in a fallen world. This is, this is part of the wages of sin. These are part of the things that lead to death. But in another real sense, it's, it's much more imminent than that. There's, there's, there's much more, uh, in, in a way, in the, the decisions in which we make and the way that in which we live our life will lead us to a total depravity. A total giving ourselves over to that will lead us down a path of death and destruction lest it be for the Lord's grace and the Lord's mercy. You know, I, I remember reading one time somebody make the argument that if you could, you would. And, and it, it makes this, this argument to say like, left to yourself, left to your flesh, obeying the passions of your flesh. If you could get away with murder, you would. If, if you could get away with stealing a billion dollars, you would. Our moral compass is broken. There's no true magnetic north. And it's God's grace and mercy that keeps us in the bounds. That, that, that keeps us from running straight to death and destruction. I, I often find myself in uh, working with somebody, in conversation with somebody, whose life has been utterly destroyed by sin. Maybe it's an affair. And that affair ha ha has led to the loss of their, their spouse, their children, their job, what, whatever it is. Most of the time, that affair just didn't pop up out of nowhere. It had a starting point, right, that started with lust in someone's heart, and it festered, and it, it, it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it led to this place. I would dare say that most people who've committed murder are, are serial murderers. Did, did they just start one day and think, man, woke up, I think I'll think I'm going, today's the day, I think I'll kill somebody. Man, maybe it was a crime of opportunity. But often it starts with hatred in our hearts. I, I think of what happened last week in Buffalo, New York. That, that, wasn't, a, that wasn't like a, a wake up on Saturday, hey, I'm going to go do this thing. It was, a, it was the disease of the heart, an enslavement to sin that led to this path of death and destruction. It had just come from nowhere. It came out of the depths of the depravity of the heart, the corrosion of the heart, the sickness of a heart, the enslavement to sin. And so, this is, this is what's true for us. Sin leads to death. Man, I'm so thankful that in God's kindness... And his goodness, 
that he put us in a structure where we have parents. Our parents, in God's design, help us to submit, help us to obey, put these parameters on us and teach us so that it doesn't lead us to death and destruction. It is, it is the love of our children that we teach our children not to, um, you know, why did I, when James was little, uh, we joked and like, I, when I say little, I mean like this tall, you know, he's this tall now. Uh, like he had to hold my hand in the parking lot. Why? Because James was like, he's a, he's a runner. He's a runner. Burst of energy. Boom. It was like, there's no, King Super parking lot, my kid's going to get hit by a car. Why, did the, why was the handhold rule there? Because I love him and I wanted to keep him from it. That Lord, the Lord puts these parameters in our life, but yet our hearts are enslaved to sin so that we break those rules and those, those parameters. Sin leads to death. And by our very nature, we are enslaved to it. If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. So it's either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So if you say today, Zach, I, I don't want to be a slave to sin. I, do, I don't want a life of death and destruction. I, I don't want my life to, to, to fall apart. I don't want it to look in shambles. By the way, it can look really, really put together and still be enslaved to sin. And still be in shambles. It can look really good on that, the outside. And what did Jesus say? You, uh, you, know, you know, whitewashed tombs. A tomb with a decaying body on the inside, but looked all nice and clean on the outside. You don't want to be a slave to sin? Then kill it. A quote I've been saving, I've been sitting on, I've been holding. My boy John Owen, and not my son, the theologian. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. You don't want to be slave to sin, then there's only but one solution. There's only one, and it's to kill it. Kill sin, or sin will be killing you. John Owen wrote that about Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is, this is when he wrote the mortification of sin. This is the verse that he's talking about. This is the difference in death, sin that leads to destruction, and this new life that we've been talking about. And the hinge point, the moment, is when we put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us. When we say we have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer us who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. That the life we once lived in the flesh, we now live by faith in the Son of God. I want to read a little more in chapter 8. And read it a little more in context. So I'm going to read 12 and then 13 again down a little bit. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And so I hope in, 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 the, in the days past, in the world around us, you can look and you can see, I do not want to be a slave to sin. I want to live for Christ. I want to be a slave uh, to Christ. I, 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 would, I would reject sin killing me, so I'm going to kill it. I'm going to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in me. And here is how you do it. The, 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 the sin that is killed in you is killed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If by the Spirit, he says, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is as a Christian, walking in a new way of life means walking in the Spirit of God. It means Christ's Spirit dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit is going to work in you and move in you and continually, daily, Put sin to death. I want you to understand that this is a daily battle. It is taking up your cross daily. It is, it is putting to death what is earthly in you daily. It's this daily battle. Yes, you are justified at salvation. The gavel is, is tapped and God looks at you and says, Not guilty anymore. And at the exact same time, He's put the Spirit in us to drive back the works of sin, the enslavement of sin. That we are free, that we're no longer held captive. We hear that word slave in Scripture. There's three ways in which it, it, it was used. And, and I think there's actually, as I look at it, there's like a spectrum between the two ends and the one in the middle. You, you have... A slave who's very much owned, very much zero control of their life. Think chains and shackles. Think, think beatings. On the other end, it's, it's serv servanthood. Same, same word in, in Greek, um, used in, in different ways. But it's, it's very much the stories that were, they, they, they mention the servant. And the context of the servant would be more like someone who's employed with a boss today. And in the middle is a bond servant, the, the one who's working off their debt. They, they, they've, they've got debt, and, and just like the borrower is slave to the lender, you're, you're, you are in some ways slave to your employer, though you can quit and go work elsewhere. But... You've got to have income. You've got to have a way to live. And, and, and there's a spectrum in which in the, in the New Testament that, that that word is used. I want you to understand that here in this text, it is used as bondage, as slavery, as chains and shackles, as you must obey. So verse 17 makes this very clear. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. Past tense. You were once slaves of sin. You were once chained to it. In bondage of it. Have become obedient. 
from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. So you've been freed from sin and now you're obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So here's my next big idea. When you are a slave to Christ, you're an obedient follower to his new way of life. You're, you're obedient follower. You're, you are choosing. You're, you're crossing over to, to following sin and sin having control of you to now Christ having control of you. Christ being your master. Christ being your, your Lord. I, I want you to think about Paul and how he started so many of his letters. I, Paul, slave of Christ, prisoner of Christ, a bondservant of Christ, trying to communicate that his life is totally indebted to the way of his master, the one he would follow. Think about Paul's life and, and think about um, the way he persecuted the, the people of the way, the Christians, the followers, how he, he in fact was in, in, in radical hatred towards them, who oppressed them, who even killed them. Who in no way was trying to, to find favor with Jesus. He was ra rather trying to, to kill the followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and gloriously saves him. And out of his old way of life, he walks this new way of life. He's totally changed in that moment. And he sees God's grace. He experiences God's grace. We get from him what we would call the doctrines of grace. Where we see God's unmerited favor in our lives. And now he lives indebted to Christ. That's what he's continually trying to show. So because we have killed, we've put to death what is earthly in us. That we've believed in the gospel and been saved. And we have repented. We've turned from. We don't want to be enslaved to sin. We want the spirit to work in us. We've become. So no longer no longer slaves, that's past it's now. What have we become? What's the present tense? Obedient from the heart. It's a change of heart. A new way of life is a change of heart. It's a change of, 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 li of life because your heart has been changed. Now you're obedient in your heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That's Jesus' teaching. That's Jesus' way. That's the Jesus ethic. That's the commands of Christ in the greater context, the application, the way in which Christ interpreted the commands of the Bible and gives us an ethic to follow them forward. It, it's, it's how Christ showed us to live out God's command in scriptures. This is where our heart goes. So when you are a slave to Christ, you're no longer a, a, a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness. Meaning, Christ is your Lord, Christ is your master. We're no longer going to live in sin, we're going to live in righteousness. When, when you are a slave to Christ, you are an obedient follower to this new way of life. You don't live in the old way of life. The old man has died, the new man has come. But what do we see when Jesus teaches? We see that this new man has come. Don't we see this, this takes pruning that it takes killing, that it takes cutting off, and that it, that it, it continues. 
It moves and it, and it works. Again, throw, uh, uh, verse 19 as we, we approach this, that, that we're speaking in human terms because of our natural limitations. We're, we're limited to understand really the depth in which our hearts were bound to sin and at the same time uh, uh, the, the depth of the riches of God's mercy in which we've been adopted into his family. To know what it means that we are now co-heirs with Christ. That just like Paul, we go, oh, I'm co-heir with Christ. That Christ has freed me from sin. That I'm, I'm totally free. And in the, the freedom, set free from sin, I'm going to be uh, an obedient slave. It sounds like double talk, doesn't it? It sounds like wait, so you're leaving one form of slavery to go into another, uh, another form of slavery. Yes! You got it! That's right. You're calling Jesus Lord. You're calling him king. You're calling him ruler. And you're saying you're going to follow him. We opened up reading Psalm 23. And, and there's so many places that, that we could have read, especially in the New Testament. But I just love the imagery of Psalm 23. Again, this is like our human limitations, right? And so here we're put in, yet there's this, this another, another picture painted for us where, which, where which we're the sheep and Christ is the shepherd. This is our master and his slaves. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what it means to follow Christ. To be a slave to Christ. That the Lord leads us in those ways. That he's our master. That he's our, our, our Lord. That he cares for us. Just, just in the same way that, that, that when we think, uh, what, what's the word slave mean to you? Like when we, we, we think in, in America, we think in such terms of, of politics. And we, we think of, in, in, in terms of, um, even, even politically, we, we think of our freedoms and our finances. Like that's kind of like how we wrestle with it. And so if I were to ask you... Um, what's the best form of government? Many would say, well, a republic or a democracy, and we could talk about like the nuances of that. But I would tell you, best form of government is, is a benevolent dictator. Benevolent dictatorship. A king that has all the resources in the world at his disposal and chooses to use them for his people. 
who has good intentions for his people, that all of his good intentions are, all of his intentions for his people are good. They're, they're not bad. They're not out to harm them. They're, they're, they're for good. This is our king. And this is the king you want to rule your life. This is the king that you want to say, I will follow you. I will serve you. I will be your slave. You are my master. Because his intentions are good for you. And his intentions are for his glory. And his glory is for our good. And it is a beautiful mesh of the two things. That the Lord in his kindness and his goodness has sent Jesus Christ to kill sin. To put to death what is earthly in us that we may follow Christ. Continuing in verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, right? That's what lawlessness does. It, it compounds, it leads to more, it leads to more. We, we're broken, we follow it. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness. That presenting ourselves to Christ, to, 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 to following Christ would lead to more obedience, to more obedience Righteousness leading to sanctification. God working in us and changing us. So here's our next big idea. Is that what God works in your heart. Finish it for me. Man, I hope. I, I hope. Like, if our church knows anything. I hope it's that. Like, what God works in your heart works out. It's God who changes you. It, it works out resulting in a new way of life. This is the goodness of God. This is the, the gift of God, the grace of God, that what he does in our hearts works out. It, it, now, we as a people, that we would present our members, our bodies, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, that we wouldn't just, that, that, that in this, as we think about slaves to righteousness, so often when we're talking about killing sin, we're talking about Sins of commission, the things that we do. But it's also the sins of omission, the things that we don't do. And so we would be a, 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 a great commandment people. That as a church, we would be a people that as slaves to righteousness, we would consider others more highly than ourselves. That we would love them. That we would love our neighbors as ourselves. That we would love the Lord with all our, our heart, with all our soul, our mind. That we would love our neighbors as ourselves. That our ethics... That our morals would be shaped by this, this Jesus way of teaching, this philosophy in which he shared and lived his life and how he showed us to live out the scriptures. That we would love others and love them well. Not just great uh, command, uh, co commandment people, but great commission people. That we would be a people in obedience to Christ would go and make disciples of all nations, that we would be a people who are willing to go, who are willing to, to take up our cross and follow him, that are willing to change zip codes. People who need passports and, and visas and learn languages and, and put our stuff in shipping containers and move across the world or sell everything we have to go to the deepest, darkest Places where people are enslaved to sin that they might break from the freedom of slavery and come into a relationship with Christ. Like we would not just be great commandment people, we would be great commission people. That we would be obedient people. That we would take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. That we would be slaves to righteousness. That we would put our yes on the table. 
that on the table we would lay down and say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth following. We're going to take communion today. we take communion today, we are going to have a symbolic expression of our faith that shows us the beauty of Christ's love for us. His blood poured out for us to pay the penalty for our sin that we would no longer have to be enslaved to it and his body broken for us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, for I have received from the Lord What I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in this moment... As we take communion, we are saying, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And Christ freed me. Christ freed me. And now I'm free to follow Christ. Now, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, and in my freedom, I'm choosing to, to, to be bound to him, to be a bondservant, to, to follow Christ even till death I want you to understand communion is for the slave of Christ it's for the follower of Christ it's for the one who makes Christ Lord today if you're here and you're like man I don't, I don't buy anything you're, you're selling I don't believe what you're saying this is all just made up it would be really odd for you to take communion because what we're saying is like Jesus, Jesus died on the cross for our sins And so this is for the believer. He also puts these parameters on it. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, ask yourself this today. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to Christ? Are you killing sin or is sin killing you? And use this as a moment to repent, to turn from it. If you're unwilling to repent, if you're unwilling to turn from your sin, then by all means, do not take communion. But if you are here today saying, Christ, I'm following you by your spirit. Kill the sin in me. Then let's set our mind and attention on Christ and what he's done for us. Let's stand. Father, we love you and we thank you. You've set us free from sin for those who believed. The wages of sin is death, but that there's the free gift of God from you in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is Jesus our master, that He's our Lord. Lord, may we be obedient servants to him. May we put our yes on the table and say, yes, we're going to follow you in the great commission, the great commandment.
We're going to follow your way of life, this new way of life. We're going to put to death what is earthly in us. We're going to set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are below. That we're going to live for heaven. We're going to live for your kingdom and a kingdom reward, not an earthly reward. Lord, this morning, destroy the coveting in our heart, the idolatry in our heart, the adultery in our heart, the hatred in our heart, Lord. Kill those things in us that we may be slaves to righteousness. That we would be slaves. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self control, the the fruits of the Spirit. Against such things there is no law. That that would be our DNA. That would be who we are. That would be the way in which we live our life. That we would be kind. That we would be loving. That we would be humble. Patient. That we would be about justice. We would be about seeing the, the, the captive freed. That we would be about the mortification of sin, the killing of sin, that, that we would live in righteousness. Father, do that work in us today. Father, we, we love you and we thank you that we get to serve you as slaves. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song of response. And as, you, as you've repented, as you've prayed, as you're ready, come forward, take a cup. Go ahead and open up the top and get the wafer and crush it between your teeth with your mind on Christ and his body on the cross for you. Peel back the top and let's wait and we're going to drink of the juice together.